Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. closet. An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is the postseason installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BPSkinnerClothiers.com. Mike Morgan, J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am with ESPN and the SCC Network, and we are ready for another installment of this award-winning podcast i don't know who gave us the award but thank you very much for mailing us trophies nonetheless jc a busy week uh in college football it's been such a ho-hum season i hate to say that because look we love college football no matter what and it's still the best thing going no matter what so when when people say it and i get caught into it i have to stop myself and say look i'm not complaining I'm not saying that the season just sucked out loud and I didn't enjoy anything about it. I still enjoy every Saturday. It still goes too quickly. I still mourn it when it's gone. I still hate the fact that this Saturday coming up, we really don't have much of college football. We've got Army-Navy, which is fantastic and still on my bucket list, but we don't have a slew of games. We just had, in the spirit of everything else that's happened this, this year, a kind of ho-hum championship Saturday with, of course, the exception of what happened in Atlanta. And we'll get to that in just a second. We'll talk about breaking coaching news. We'll look ahead. We won't get too deep into bowl games because we've got plenty of time to do that. But we'll touch on it somewhat and certainly hit on uh, the playoff and whether or not you think there was any controversy there or not. But first and foremost, how is morale in the life of J.C. Sherbert? Morale is high. I mean, this is a... Uh Always an interesting couple of weeks uh, after Thanksgiving weekend into championship weekend and then into the week after championship weekend, just coaching changes. And, um, of course, we had a big coaching change that, that, that wasn't much of a coaching search with Urban Meyer announcing that this is it. He's going to hang it up after the Rose Bowl uh, and automatically is replaced by Ryan Day, um, and we can discuss whether or not we think that's a good hire. Uh, I tend to think Ryan Day is a, a pretty good head coaching candidate. Would I have made that move if I were Ohio State? Well, we'll talk about it. Um, and there's a lot of offensive coordinator jobs starting to pop up, particularly around the southeast. Auburn, Florida State, Tennessee has an open offensive coordinator job. Georgia has an open defensive coordinator job, um, which I think is always interesting, especially when you're talking about you know, how much money are the schools going to fork out for assistant coaches? Will that market continue to be driven high? Uh, all that stuff. Lots of talk about Hugh Freeze landing at one of these schools. Uh, oh, I forgot Alabama also has an offensive coordinator's job open as well. And uh, if I'm out there and want an offensive coordinator's job, the chance to to- coach Tua next year um, to me is very, very appealing. Uh, and congratulations to Mike Loxley for getting the Maryland job. But, um, you know, just a bunch of uh, uh, a bunch of stuff going on now. Uh, we don't have the the zaniness of the high profile openings this off season. 
Um, but a lot of interesting, like I said, coordinator moves. Uh, and then, of course, the biggest job that came open uh, was quickly filled uh, in Ohio State. Uh, and that's always what's fun to talk about right now. And, of course, we, we're kind of uh, choo-chooing down the tracks uh, two weeks from today, early signing period starts. And last year, I think we were all kind of caught off guard. 80% of everybody who signed, signed early. Um, so it's almost the new signing day. So we'll see kind of how that shakes out for all the schools out there trying to get those high-level recruits uh, in the bag. ACC championship game, just as anticlimactic as we thought it would be. Big Ten championship game, kind of the same. I mean, Northwestern hung around, made it a, a four-quarter game, and that's nice for Pat Fitzgerald and company. Pac-12 uh, championship game, eh, inconsequential because the Pac-12 doesn't participate in the playoff. At least they have in three out of five years. And uh, the Big 12 championship game actually uh, put together some highlights. You know you're going to get offense because, well, it's the Big 12. But really – what happened in Atlanta is what steals the show. And it's the reason why for those that keep suggesting that we get rid of championship Saturday and conference championship games altogether in favor of the first round of a college football playoff. While many of us would not mind seeing that it's never going to happen, at least not in the near future, because the sec championship game is rating success, financial success, and very overall, uh, it is a success in terms of the product on the field. And it was against Saturday, a hell of a game. I think that this is, though, for all that Kirby Smart has done right, this is one that they're going to be talking about for a while. The fake punt on 4th and 11 with 3.04 to go. I have tried, believe me, JC, I have tried to find some logic and reason behind that. Uh, this is not 2020 hindsight. This is me just scratching my head, and I scratched it at the time. Had uh, days to kind of digest it, and I still think it is one of the most awful calls I've ever seen <laughs> in a game of that magnitude. It just You didn't need it. You absolutely didn't need it. You pinned Tua back to like the 10-yard line, Make them go. There's no guarantee. It's not as if the Georgia defense was dying with their tongues dragging on the field. I think Alabama only ran 64 plays. Georgia ran so many more plays in that game. They dominated the game for much of the way. Uh, it, it just felt like a desperate move at the wrong time, and it was the wrong time to run it. I won't get into the whole two nerdy special teams X and O stuff, but Alabama clearly with their personnel on the field was more than prepared to stop it. So that's one that Kirby's going to have to live down for a while because it, it, it's still a head scratcher some three, four days later. Yeah, very curious. Um, even the personnel, I, I wasn't uh, I couldn't believe it happened. Uh, honestly, it was just one of those things where I, I I was shocked, uh, and, and again, we see as we saw, we've seen the last two times these these two schools have played in Atlanta, 2012 SEC title game last year in the national championship, um, this year in the SEC championship. Georgia controls the game throughout, and and some things happen, and Bama ends up winning. Uh, the same script uh, was in play on, on Saturday. This year, though, I thought. 
I really thought, well, Alabama, I mean, how many times can you go to the well in this situation? I mean, this this year I really thought Alabama was in some trouble. Um, didn't really think Bama played all that great. But they found a way to, to pull it out there at the end. And what was another classic that they'll be talking about in the SEC for years? You know, you talked about the SEC championship game being a moneymaker and a ratings bonanza and, and all that. But we have had some some donkey, donkey games in this championship game this mm-hmm. decade, if you think about it. Going back to 2010, 11, uh, 12 was a classic. The two times Missouri was in, there was no suspense. The two times Florida went to play Bama, no suspense. No. Um, and then, then, you know, you had last year with Auburn and Georgia. That was, that was suspenseful somewhat. Georgia pulled away at the end. Uh, and then this year uh, was another classic. So I, I think that was good for the SEC and good for this event and good for this game. Uh, but your heart just kind of goes out to Georgia yet again. Uh, having another opportunity to knock off the giant, so to speak. Um, and, and let's remember, that's why Kirby Smart is the coach at Georgia, because they were not happy going 10-3 and three and winning divisions. They wanted to be Alabama and beat Alabama. Well, he's had two good chances <laughs> uh, right there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium and so far 0 for 2. Uh, so that has to hurt the dog fans a little bit. But, you know, at the same time, um, hats off to Bama. Uh, for passing a test, and, and now they move on to the semifinals um, and uh, get to play a team that's got a heck of an offense and you know very little defense down there in the Orange Bowl. So that should be a, an interesting game for sure. It is a great story to see what Jalen Hurts was able to do. He, I don't think they win that game, quite frankly, without Jalen Hurts. Um, Tua clearly is bothered by that ankle, mm-hmm. is not moving as well, is not as accurate. Um, we can get in the Heisman Trophy talk later on. I know I anguished over my vote on Sunday uh, based on what happened in the last couple of weeks. But let's not forget, Tua still had a magnificent year. And when he's healthy, he's as good as anybody at that position in college football, if not better, with all due respect to Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins. But I, it just wasn't clicking with him in there uh, for much of the game. Mm-hmm. And when Jalen Hurts comes in, You just had that sense. And this is where it is. You hear the expression embarrassment of riches probably too often. Mm -hmm. Alabama is beyond an embarrassment of riches. When you can take a guy who was, what, 26 and two as a starter, something like that. At least that was the record maybe uh, coming into this year. And that's who you have to go. There are so many power five schools. I can't even find one halfway decent quarterback. I mean, there are a lot of programs that struggle, even though they got athletes all over the place in big time college football, because they can't find the answer at the quarterback spot. And they have two. Uh, that is just that is an embarrassment of riches that very, very few schools have. So he winds up being the hero. It's a great story. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people look at Alabama as the evil empire. Like, it's just not even fair because everything said that Alabama should have lost that game. And everything said that Georgia wins it. And truth of the matter is, if Georgia wins it, they're going to win it in a close game. And Alabama still probably gets in the playoff. I really think if Alabama had lost that game, you'd be looking at two SEC schools in the playoff again, which would tick off everybody outside of the SEC again. And Joel Klatt and Danny Cannell can have a conniption and a, and a nervous breakdown over social media, but wasn't going to change it. Alabama was going to get in with a close loss, and they should have gotten in with a close loss. 
I don't mind Georgia not getting in uh, with a close loss because at the end of the day, that loss at LSU is what kept them out. And there was no way they were going to take a one loss Big 12 or Big 10 champion and have Georgia with two losses leapfrog them this year. Their people would have been carrying torches in the streets uh, from all these other leagues and all these other parts of the country. As far as the uh, committee, you and I talked about this last week. I had no idea where the committee was going to go. I did have a feeling there'd be a little anti-Ohio State sentiment out there. Uh, But look, we're splitting hairs here. I have no problem with Oklahoma getting in over Ohio State. You're not going to convince me Oklahoma is a better team in Ohio State. You're not going to convince me Oklahoma would match up better with Alabama than Ohio State, and you're certainly not going to convince Las Vegas of that either because just about everything you look at, every measurable you look at, has Ohio State as a better overall team, uh, both with one loss. But, hey, Ohio State had the worst loss, and so you can make your argument however you want to make it. I think Ohio State had better wins overall. I think Oklahoma has maybe the most dreadful defense that we're ever going to see participate in a 14 playoff, but – uh, I think they wanted to find a way. I think there's, you know, we always hear the term Alabama fatigue for different reasons. I think there was a little bit of urban Meyer fatigue this year, and there was just enough gray area to take Oklahoma, put them in. And I think I, I do, I'm a little bit curious how some people like you and I had a, a, a really good conversation about it last week. You, you, you thought Oklahoma would get in. You were right. I said, I would take Oklahoma, uh, excuse me, Ohio state in that situation. Um, but neither one of us thinks it's a slam dunk. There are people that were talking the moment that list came out. Oh, well, clearly the answer is Oklahoma over Ohio State. No, not clearly. <laughs> clearly it's wow. a tough decision. And clearly it does give you argument for a potential expansion of a playoff down the road because this is another scenario where five or six can't get into four. So while it's better than the BCS, we still have some room for improvement. Yeah, and look, I think that the bottom line is in college football, college football, and we talk about protecting the regular season all the time, college football is still an undefeated sport. It is, and then I'll give you, look no further than the two uh, or the, the one and a half ACC teams that we have in the playoffs. Um, Notre Dame, less than impressive a lot this year. Um, you look at their wins. Eh, well, they beat Michigan at the beginning of the year. They beat a 5-7 and seven Southern Cal team. You know, Florida State and Virginia Tech should have been good wins, uh, but they weren't. Um, who else did they play? Stanford? They beat Stanford. Northwestern? I mean, you know, and then they struggle with Pitt. They struggle with Vanderbilt. They struggle with Ball State. They struggled with SC. Um, they finished 5-7. and seven. I mean, there were a lot of names on that schedule, but there were just weren't, you know, there weren't a lot of wins. So if you're talking about wins, I think Ohio State had better wins than Notre Dame and Clemson. I mean, well, who were Clemson's good wins? Texas A&M, South Carolina, and Syracuse. Hmm. I mean, you know, yes, it's impressive to beat Florida State 59-10. to 10. Florida State <laughs> didn't go to a bowl. It was awful. Uh, yeah. It's impressive to beat Louisville 77-16, but Louisville was 2-10 and 10 and had a coaching change. Um, but, look, those are teams are undefeated, and, and they, they I think in college football, undefeated still matters. And, and so then it comes down to, you know, your losses. 
much more so than, than, than sometimes your wins. And I'm with you. I think Ohio State had a lot better wins than Oklahoma. But then again, Oklahoma went through a, uh, a round-robin schedule in the Big 12 where, you know, you can get beat on a night where Oklahoma State, had they had a place kicker, scores 49 against you, and they survived. Now, they gave up 40 to Kansas and however many rushed, 224 rushing yards. Um, but, you know, if you look at Oklahoma, they lost by three to Texas on a neutral field. They come back. They avenge that loss, and so it almost eliminates them. Had Ohio State played Purdue in Indianapolis, Mike, mm-hmm. um, instead of Northwestern, had Purdue not been 6-6, six and six, and let's say Purdue had won that division, I think it would be a different debate altogether because right. then you go to wins. But just like last year, you can't justify putting Ohio State with a 31-point loss on the road to Iowa in over an Alabama team that – lost to the hottest team in college football, their arch rival, on their home field at the end of the year. Just like you couldn't justify that, you can't justify a 29-point loss on the road to Purdue uh, over a team that did have one loss during the regular season but then avenged it and won its conference championship. Now, now, look, I'm I'm going to tell you Ohio State would be, if I were setting the line in Vegas, and I'm not – because um, I don't know how good I am at it. But I think Ohio State would be a touchdown seven-and-a-half-point favorite against Oklahoma. I do, too. If you lined them up. Yeah. But, but just looking at, at, at kind of the criteria, going undefeated still matters. Eliminating your loss still matters. Uh, and that's why Oklahoma's in over Ohio State, because Ohio State's one loss was just this this torpedoed their entire season. Right. And I, And the other thing is – Everything what you did is what the committee did, but you made a resume argument, which I don't think anybody has a problem with. I would remind everybody that when Mike Slive, Mike Slive was basically the architect of this 14 playoff. You know, without Mike Slive signing off on it and insisting we're not just taking four conference champions and insisting they would define it the way he wants it defined. Otherwise, the SEC wasn't playing this game. And if you don't have the SEC in your playoff, you don't have a playoff. So Mike Slive, in a rather shrewd move, to make sure that the window was already was always open to the potential of multiple SEC teams in the playoffs, such as we had a year ago, which gave us another Alabama national championship, which it wouldn't in the model that all the other conference commissioners truly wanted, which was just conference champions. Mike Slive drafted it the way our forefathers drafted the Constitution. That is to say, just a little bit of vagueness to be left to interpretation so you're not pigeonholed into one specific criteria. So how did he define it? The four best teams in college football. That's that's what it says, right? It doesn't say the best resume. It doesn't say whoever the pollsters think is the best. It doesn't say one loss versus undefeated. It doesn't say who's got the worst loss compared to the other team that's got one loss. It doesn't say who's got the best wins compared to the other team that has the same amount of quality win. It says quite simply and intentionally, vaguely, the four best teams in college football. So we are going to be continued to left banging our heads on this more often than not with at least that fi- that fourth and final slot. And so that is that is why... There's always going to be some degree of controversy. And look, I can't say this enough. 
as someone who had to listen to people tell me as if I'm an idiot that the BCS, well, it always worked. It matched up one versus two. Based on what? <laughs> who told you that was they were one versus two? You bought that lie. I didn't buy it. At least now, the, the, the degree of error, if there is such a thing, we, we cast a wider net, so we're going to take four, and I can't feel nearly as sorry for the team that they, they named number five and six versus the way it used to be, where undefeated Power 5 schools finished third and out of the, the BCS championship game because a bunch of computers that we know nothing about and biased pollsters determined who one versus two was and then told you, oh, no, it's one versus two because we say it's one versus two. So it's a much better system. However, uh, I do think at some point when the TV deals are done, when you can actually make movement on this, and, and we are nowhere near that in the next few years. There's a great article, by the way, on the next wave of conference realignment, which potentially could happen around 2023, 2024, when so many of these TV deals are up. And believe you me, if you're the Big 12 and the Pac-12, you got a lot to be nervous about of what the future could be for those leagues, because one of them could find itself losing teams at a, an alarming rate. This hmm. the similar situation like we had the Big 12 a few years ago before it was salvaged late with the, the additions of TCU and West Virginia and Texas not bolting. But at some point, I do think we'll get to six or eight. And you're not going to convince me that it's going to ruin the regular season. I'm so it's such a lame argument. It's not going to ruin the regular season if we took a couple of more teams. Uh, but I do think you would take away some of the guesswork, which we saw once again on display when the committee selected their final four. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped, striped, striped boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. Yeah, I'm with you there, and, and it's going to be interesting to see kind of what what happens. I I don't care if we go to eight. Um, I'm fine with that. Uh, I I do think there is a way to salvage the regular season, the conference champions, the bowls uh, by including them and, and everything. I, I'm not for the group of five getting in even at eight. I'm not for UCF being one of the eight best teams in the country because Mike, when it gets to eight, in my opinion. Then all of a sudden, it's not an undefeated sport anymore. You do have to value that to a certain extent, but a top eight is a lot different than a top four where you have five. Because I'm assuming that if you go to eight, the conferences are going to demand all five conference champions make it. Mm -hmm. Period. Um, So you could have a Northwestern pull a Titanic upset and get in the playoff. Um, I I am sure that that's going to happen. So that, that still leaves three at large. So are you telling me that UCF's resume was better than George's this year? 
was better than LSU's or Michigan's? No, hell no, it wasn't. Um, so I'm still not for, if they do expand it, throwing this little bone out to the group of five. The group of five needs its own playoff. That's how they do things on the high school level. Uh, on, in high school football, you have brackets. You don't have just one state champion. Um, you have brackets and, and, and the divisions and, and the playoffs uh, they're determined by schools that have your student body population, i.e. resources, okay? Because the more students you have, chances are the more resources you have. The bigger booster club you have. The more players you have coming out for football. You know, you're at a school with 2,500 students versus 200. On the high school level, that makes a difference. Well, in college, it's not so much student body population because UCF has a 65,000 65, students. <laughs> and the big, okay there. the big 10 would have more resources than anybody because all those schools are gigantic. Yes. But it, it's not about that. It's about resources and TV money and, and all and facilities and, and recruiting and all the stuff that goes into it, the power five. So because football on, a, on a high, the high school level, on just about any amateur level, except college, uh, is determined and broken up awarding championships based on resources. I, I don't see what the big problem is. And I also think that, you know, TV would get behind it. I'd love to see App State and UCF in a group of five semifinal. Or, or last year, Florida Atlantic and Lane Kiffin getting a shot at it. Everybody had been talking about it, creating a little buzz. I think it makes those jobs better it's better for those student athletes, and it and it makes more sense when you're talking about a, a program like App State or a program like Georgia Southern uh, that's that's come up from one double A or FCS that, that's used to winning national championships. That that gives them kind of something to look forward to. Besides, oh, can we please get to the Fiesta Bowl? Or, um, well, it's it's Montgomery at Christmas time for you, sir. Well, and 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 first off. With all due respect to UCF, uh, you're going to be playing a motivated LSU team versus a completely unmotivated, didn't want to be their Auburn team last year in the Peach. I, I, I think you're going to see it. If I'm wrong, hey, it won't be the first time I'm wrong about UCF, and UCF's got a very spirited fan base. I know that fan base very, very well. Um, take me to town and, and have fun with it. Again, I'm the one that said I'd like to see UCF in the Big 12, so this is not an anti-UCF rant at all. I, I, I think the Big 12 could easily add, well, Houston should be in that league, and the Texas schools, <laughs> I think, ought to get over it already, let them in, and, and add a UCF. It, it, I don't think UCF does anything to tarnish that league top to bottom in, in the Power 2 sports, football, basketball. But all that being said, your point's a valid one. I will say this. I, I want to see a group five playoff too. And I think eventually we're heading there because after a while, the Mike Oreskos of the world and, and other com- commissioners of those leagues are going to stop banging their head against the wall and realize the reality is this. You're not included in the party. The moment they divvied that up into group five, power five and redid this whole system, uh, it, the, the writing was on the wall. It was inclusive only to power five schools and they made 27 different caveats that made it nearly impossible for a group five school to get in a 14 playoff or even a 16 playoff and maybe even an 18 playoff unless you give an automatic bid to one group five school. I do think while TV would certainly gobble it up because TV can't get enough college football games on the air, somebody would write a check, but it will not be anywhere near the ballpark 
of the other playoff in terms of financial resources. So you're still going to be that line of demarcation is still going to be real, real strong. So you can grab, you know, your UCF, maybe you throw in another trope, couple trophies that say group five championship in there. But for the UCFs of the world, if you don't get into the power five conferences, and this is where that realignment discussion will become much more relevant in a couple of years from now, you're still going to be financially, despite having 65,000 students, despite having a brand new football stadium, which is good, despite having a fan base that I will tell you, UCF has a very, very passionate fan base. They tail, There's nothing wrong with that fan base at all, but they can't control the uncontrollable. And the uncontrollable is the Power Five conferences are not letting them in. And the Big 12 had a chance to do it, and they they basically played everybody for a fool and left everybody at the altar and said, oh, yeah, no, we're going to take your resumes, and you can come on stage. We'll have Ed McMahon do a star search, and you can tap dance, and you can juggle, and you can sing, and then we're going to say, sorry, go home. We were just kidding. We're not taking anybody. That's what happened, and I I don't think we're any closer in the next few years of adding those schools. So UCF is going to be continually on the outside looking in. So would Boise State. So would FAU. So would, I don't know, take somebody from the Mountain, uh, not the Mountain West. That would be Boise State. Give me another. Give me a Sun Belt. A UAB for that matter. What if, what if, what if UAB next year goes 13 and 0? Uh, they're not getting in. It, it's just the way this thing is set up. It, it, it is. It might as well have a, a little thing on the door. It says no need apply. So that that's where we are in terms of the four that we do have. What college football desperately needs this year to have something about this season that does not play along the continual chalk line, if you will, is for these games to be competitive or at least one of them. Now, most people aren't giving neither Notre Dame or Oklahoma even a chance in these games. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think this is going to be two throttlings where Alabama and Clemson, you and I have been talking about all year, uh, for right now we're living in an Alabama-Clemson world. And, you know, these things are cyclical. Eventually that will change. But but not this year it's not. Um, this year I still think Alabama and Clemson will meet in the title game. But I do think at least one of these games will be competitive. I guess what I would throw out to you, JC, is if you had to pick one game that has the potential to be a fourth-quarter game, which one would you go with? Uh, just because – Oklahoma has the ability to go up and down the field and put points on the board, uh, I think, against anybody, sort of like they did against Georgia last year in the Rose Bowl. I I would say Alabama-Oklahoma. And that's nothing against Alabama, and and that's nothing against Bama's um, offense, which I think could probably score 70 if they wanted, uh, if they're at full speed down there in Miami. But, uh, you know, just something tells me, you know, Oklahoma – uh, they sort of under Stoops in 2015. They, they go to Miami. They get beat by Clemson. Uh, Clemson had, the story of that game. Clemson played defense. Oklahoma did not. Um, then, la- then last year in the Rose Bowl, they make it back. Had Georgia on the ropes. Uh, really, a, their type of football game. The game against Clemson was not. Uh, the Rose Bowl was their type of football game. Still couldn't stop Georgia. <laughs> uh, and and the dogs ended up winning it. Um, maybe third time's a charm where you know you have a Kyler Murray who's a very slippery player um, who could do some good things. 
you do have an Alabama defense that got better and better as the year went on, but there's some teams that have scored points against the Tide this year. No question. Um, Arkansas is one of them. If you want to go back and kind of look, 65-31 was that final. Uh, Auburn did some things offensively. Georgia did some things offensively against the Tide. Um, It is a very good Alabama defense that shut out LSU and Mississippi State. No question. Um, Dominant even. But, But I think with Oklahoma's style of play and with Kyler Murray's ability with his legs, they, they could give them some problems. Clemson and Notre Dame, Notre Dame has a shot if, if the – it just depends on what Notre Dame team shows up. Is it going to be the one that struggled to beat Ball State and Pitt? Or is it going to be the one that, you know, played really well against Michigan to open the season, um, that had a dominating win against Stanford when Stanford was actually good, that, that you know, took Syracuse to the woodshed and took care of business in that one? Um you know, Notre Dame's just kind of been up and down. They've won every single game, but but they've sort of been up and down. You know, I I think that Clemson's defense got well against Pitt. Uh, you know, after after what happened against South Carolina, and I think that Notre Dame is going to be a challenge. Um, you know, I, I I actually like the fact that they're playing in in the Cotton Bowl because this sort of gives Clemson. Clemson's now been in, I think, all of the legacy major bowl games, uh, Orange, Fiesta, Sugar, and now Cotton, uh, except the Rose Bowl, you know, during their little playoff stretch. So, so I thought that was kind of a neat thing. I, I Most of my projections I saw had Bama and Oklahoma or whoever going to Dallas and then Clemson going to Miami. But um, so I think it's a new venue, and when you have a lot of seniors like that, they kind of get excited about going out to a new place. Um, kind of a familiar opponent. They played Notre Dame in 2015 in a driving rainstorm, won by two points. Um, you know, but I I just don't know personnel-wise, given Clemson's defensive personnel and Notre Dame's offensive personnel, and then you, you reverse that, and the matchups just don't favor the Irish. So I, I think that, you know, barring Notre Dame playing up and Clemson playing a little down, I think the more entertaining game – will be in Miami with Alabama and Oklahoma. Now, it may be 65 to 45. It may, they, there may be more points scored in that one than in an average Virginia basketball game. But hmm. um, I, think that, uh, I think that that one's probably going to be the one that's going to be the most competitive. And, and I really can't believe I'm saying that, but I, I think that's, uh, you know, just looking at the matchups, that's how I think it'll play out. Yeah, I kind of feel that way too. Although I do, I think Notre Dame has a better chance of making their game ugly, which could therefore make it closer. And therefore, um, even though it, it might not be the most enthralling game, at least they could make it to a four quarter game. One thing about Alabama, as good as their defenses have been, they're always chock full of NFL guys. Nick Saban is a defensive wizard, as we know, but they always get involved in at least a couple of shootouts. And that's kind of this day and age in college football. You're not just going to hold everybody at under 20 points. I don't care how good your defense is. The way everything is now with today's offenses in college football, Big 12 takes it to a new extreme, as we all know. But Alabama's been involved in some high-scoring tussles over the last few years. And that's obviously what Oklahoma has to hope this is going to be. Because when I say Oklahoma's defense is bad, I mean – 
it's beyond dreadful. Like I, it, every statistical measure tells you, it is so brutal. It just in every. I don't even want to rattle them off. It's just it's pointless. Like you get it. It's there's 120 something schools that play defense in Division One, and Oklahoma's 100 and something in almost every imaginable category out there. And you can say, well, a lot of that has to do with Big 12 has explosive and and potent offenses and that might be obviously it's a factor it's a mitigating factor but it's not the whole story the whole story is oklahoma for whatever reason is just that bad on defense kyler murray kyler murray is special and i love watching that kid play if we if we would have seen oklahoma alabama last year that would have been a better litmus test to think to see kind of how they would match up against alabama this year because some of the same players are still involved and Kyler Murray does a lot of the things that Baker Mayfield does. Now he's a much <laughs> more lethal runner. Um, and he's, he's a freakish athlete because he's so small. He's about five ten. He's not thick like Russell Wilson. I mean, there's nothing about him that says prototypical quarterback, even for a running quarterback, which those are typically smaller, but good Lord, don't tell me he doesn't have an arm. He got a gun. And he is ridiculously a- uh, accurate. So I love watching him play, and I-, I hope to see a competitive game where Oklahoma does make it a shootout. Otherwise, we could have two really boring semifinal games uh, and just have more chalk on our way to a national championship game between the Tide and the Tigers. Yeah, and look, uh, the kick six year in the Iron Bowl, uh, that was the last year of the BCS. So Bama obviously did not make it to the championship game. They played the Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma, and uh, Oklahoma beat them 45-31. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's – I'm sure that will be used to get uh, the Crimson Tide's attention uh, in this one. But I think, I think it's an intriguing matchup because my theory about the Big 12 in general and, – and, look, the only Big 12 team to make the playoff has been Oklahoma. Um, I, I think that – the style of play in that league is not because they've got great offensive skill, the best offensive skill talent in the country. Because if you look at it when they play an SEC team or a good ACC team, there's skill talent on offense on those teams too, and they usually light these defenses up. I mean, everybody sat there and talked and complained, groaned even on Twitter in 2011 when Alabama played LSU in the rematch, right? And Bama wins 21-0. It was not an offensive game. And Oklahoma State, you know, everybody was talking about how they deserve to be in it. Oh, you're telling me Oklahoma State wouldn't do better than this and score more points against LSU than this and blah. Well, yeah. Yeah, they probably would have. But Oklahoma State would probably had, you know, 14 to 21 at halftime. But LSU could have been sitting on 35 because that's how bad Oklahoma State was on defense. And and that's the thing, is that until a Big 12 team plays a team from another league and and and, and doesn't get into a shootout and, and, and or, or proves that hey we can we can go against teams that can play defense that are good and just outscore them um, because we're that good on offense and that was, believe it or not that that was going to be the narrative last year had Georgia lost okay oh well points points points. You know, unfortunately, against the Georgia um, offense that hadn't been challenged that much that year, that they just got shredded. And 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 until they do that, Mike, 
until they pull off the 59-49 win over Bama because their offense is just that good and you know Bama who had a great defense got lit up then the Big 12 in my opinion is going to continue to be a conference that cannot win a national championship you have to play defense to win championships in the sport of football I do not care how good you are on offense you have to play defense to win championships let's go back to the St. Louis Rams the greatest show on turf if you will Back in, um, when was it, 2000 when they won the Super Bowl. Mike Martz, I'll take you back there. They win the Super Bowl 20-17. to Because, you know what, they were good on offense, but Mike, they could play a little defense too. Mm-hmm. You have to oh, play yeah. defense uh, in football. I'm not saying an offensive team that's better on offense than defense can't win it, but really name one. I mean, I, you know, Auburn in 2010 – Yes, better offense than defense. Well, you know what? They had to hold Oregon to 19 points to survive the championship game, so they played a little bit of defense at times. You know, I, I just I can't think of a team that's won a national championship in a while that, that was just kind of a chunk it around the yard and, you know, hang up 50 and defense is optional. You're not going to think of one because it hasn't existed, I don't think, in our, in our lifetime, quite frankly. I really don't. Um, now, some de- sometimes stats can be a little misleading. For example, you know, if Oklahoma was just gave up a lot of yards, but then they stiffened up in the red zone and yeah. other teams had to settle for field goals, or even, even if Oklahoma gave up a ton of touchdown drives, but they actually caused turnovers, right? They could, w- they could live a charmed life doing that. Just win turnover margin, give up a bunch of yards, give up a good amount of points, but get get just a couple. Of, they don't even force turnovers. I mean, there's nothing about this defense to point to that is remotely good. And to your bigger point, the Big Twelve they caught a break this year because again, uh, you you could easily have made the case for Ohio State or Georgia getting in over them. Had they been left out, that would have been three times in five years of the playoff. That would have been just as bad as the Pac-12 which is kind of like an afterthought. We don't talk about the Pac-12 anymore. They got, they got problems with hair on them over on the left coast. They got to figure out what they're going to do with TV. They got to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, expansion, no expansion, teams getting poached from that league. There, there, there's just something that's not, not cutting the mustard right now at the Pac-12, and their signature programs are not playing exceptionally well either. Southern Cal leading the way in that one. But the Big 12 could have been very much in that same conversation. Oklahoma getting in kind of kind of stops that discussion it stops that narrative but it would have been out there three out of five times the big 12 would not have been in and the only two times that they would have been in as you mentioned it would have been the same school in oklahoma no one else has even come close to getting in from that league so uh, there's i should say baylor and tcu got close one year and And i i guarantee you that if they had oklahoma and texas on their jerseys when they tied, oh, they would have been. I, I almost yes. guarantee you they would have gotten in over well, yeah. over and, Ohio State and whoever. So agreed. And and keep in mind too, back then we didn't have a Big Twelve championship game. Uh, in this case, the Big Twelve championship game saved the Big Twelve in terms of getting in. Uh, now, if Oklahoma gets throttled, and that is always potentially there when you play in Alabama, you could almost make the case, and I touched on this a couple weeks ago, and then we'll, we'll move on outside of the Big 12 for a second. You could almost make the case it would have been better for that conference to have Texas win it 
because they need Texas to be relevant again. Mm-hmm. They need Texas to be a force again in college football. Um, but for now, it's good for the Big 12. It's good for dollars. It's good for Oklahoma, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see if they can compete against Alabama in the playoff, which, again, is December the 29th. I was talking to an Alabama fan. Uh, these are these are you know to use a popular expression these are rich man's problems mm-hmm. i know an alabama fan here in atlanta and this guy is big time i mean he goes to every stinking alabama game he does not miss it i don't care what is going on in his life he is a father he is a businessman uh but he's not missing his alabama crimson tide on the gridiron and he was telling me he said mike i got problems he said i can't find a hotel room in Miami uh, because so many people go to South Florida Christmas week. And this game is that weekend falling Christmas mm-hmm. where a lot of people are still there. So I can't find a hotel. And he was starting to quote the prices of the flights. I said, did you try Fort Lauderdale? He said, yeah. I said, did you try Palm beach? He said, yeah, they're all ridiculous. He said, I might just sit out the semi and hope like heck I can go to the championship game in California. I said, well, that's not a bad problem to add. He said, no, wait, Mike, I can't get a, a hotel room there either because there's some type of, I don't know, microchip convention going on oh, with a man. bunch of computer nerds. So, I mean, it's going to cost big, big money. If you want to go to these two games during that time, um, these are the logistics that <laughs> unless you're in the playoff, you don't worry about it. I'm sure the other fan base is like, well, screw you. I don't care. At least <laughs> you're in it. Um, but I did think it was interesting to hear an Alabama fan who always goes and usually money is not an object. It, it is a, a, a little bit of a hindrance this particular year, by the way, 11 sec teams going bowling, uh, Vandy Baylor, Auburn, Purdue, Florida, Michigan, I think Florida, Michigan could actually be a pretty intriguing one. That'll be here in Atlanta. Dan Mullen trying to get 10 wins out of that team. And I think Michigan will still be motivated with hardball despite the tough loss to Ohio State. South Carolina, Virginia, Missouri, Oklahoma State, NC State, A&M, Mississippi State, Iowa, Kentucky, Penn State, LSU, UCF. We talked about that game. And Georgia trying to rebound psychologically on New Year's Day against Texas. Some of the news and notes, speaking of Missouri, how about Kelly Bryant shunning Auburn to go to Mizzou? Now, they got some talent coming back, especially if Albert O, uh, who's one of the best tight ends in the country, bar none, if he comes back, they've got him. They've got some talent at wideout. I think they've got three starting offensive linemen back. He'll have some, their backs are back. He'll have some weapons around him. But I got to admit, I was surprised that was his choice. Well, I think when it comes down to their Auburn, you, you sort of have, um, I don't know, you, you've got some issues at Auburn. And I'll tell you this right now, they, they, they don't help themselves uh, when some of this stuff leaks about restructured contracts you don't help yourself when your offensive coordinator leaves to go to Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't help yourself when stories break and, um, you know, you, you're meeting with a top-shelf candidate. Or, you know, it's classic Auburn. And, and I think Kelly Bryant looked at it and went, well, heck, you know, Missouri's got everybody coming back. But Drew Locke, Drew Locke's going to be a high pick in the draft. Um, you know, Derek Dooley, say what you want about him. I think he did a good year, a good thing calling plays this year. I think Drew Locke, um, he sort of gave him a running game. 
if Demaria Crockett comes back, I think he's one of the better backs in the SEC. Um, you know, they've got some pieces in place on that offense. They just need a need a quarterback and you know, it's it's a it's a one shot deal. And if you're Kelly Bryant, you want to go to the place where you think you can uh, make it happen. And um we'll see if he does. I mean, I I tend to believe given Kelly Bryant's skill set that Auburn would have been Auburn or Florida would have been the best place for him because of his fit within those schemes. Now, if you're Kelly Bryant though and you want to play in the NFL, maybe those schemes aren't the best for you. You know, maybe you know whether you run a lot or, or you take advantage of your legs. Maybe you want to go learn bingo under Derek Dooley and, and try to get to the NFL. That's one hundred percent it. No, yeah. you you just you just nailed it. And, and and that's look, Kelly Bryant in his eyes, he's an NFL quarterback. Um, the NFL does not like to see the offense that Gus Malzahn runs. Okay, if you're Cam Newton, you might be able to get away with it and still be the number one overall pick. Outside of that, Kelly Bryant is not Cam Newton. Not today, not tomorrow, not next week. He's not that caliber of player. Um, you you don't want to run the offense that Dan Mullen is running in Gainesville. I, I think that is that is a thousand percent it. And and from that standpoint, I can't blame him. But the the Chip Lindsey leaving for Kansas. I mean. What what am I missing there? I think it's very hard. Uh, well, you, you know, what's his name? Rhett Lashley, who was the offensive coordinator before Chip mm-hmm. left for UConn. Right. To be the OC at UConn. And then Chip Lindsey was going to be the guy. I think it's hard to be the offensive coordinator for a guy that's had a lot of success calling plays yep. that still wants to be the guy. I, I don't think that. These days, there are a lot of like Mark Rick, Mike Bobo type of relationships where, you know, Mark Rick called the place when he got to Georgia. Well, then it got to be too much. And, and Mike Bobo came in and did a pretty good job. They were sort of like minded and on the same page and all that good stuff. There aren't a lot of situations like that, especially when you're Gus Malzahn and that's kind of what you do. I mean, Auburn, in a lot of ways, with their staff and their tradition and you know their atmosphere Auburn in a lot of ways recruits itself uh Gus Malzahn is not a stellar type known you know recruiter that that's not what he's known for he's not known for being a great organizer uh and and you know CEO type he's a play caller it's about Gus and his offense and so that's a hard hard job when you're that guy because you know what the the public um the public persona or the public uh comments are that oh chip Lindsay calls every play and then you hear ah well gus probably threw a few in here or there or you know that's not really the case and and so if you're the oc there you're a scapegoat if malzahn fails and you know you don't really get that much credit if you're good in my opinion um, I, I think that's just a hard job. Uh, I think if you're a Kansas football fan, <laughs> uh, I think you're happy that Les Miles hired Chip Lindsey because that's going to be a completely different type of offense than Les Miles has ever run. 
And I think I think that was the problem when you look at him going to Kansas. You're like, man, is he going to get in the I formation? Is hmm. is, is Cam Cameron going to come join him? And <laughs> they're going to dial up some old plays from the 70s. I mean, um, no. I mean, they're going to run a modern offense now. And I think I think that's a better opportunity for Chip Lind- Lindsey. Uh, you know, especially with a new head coach coming in, he can, he can be there a couple of years and then move on if things don't look great. Then staying at Auburn. Uh, and potentially being a scapegoat with regards to the issues that they have there now. I think it's a, that's a great word to describe it. And it, the Gus Malzahn thing is such a paradox because there's so many people, and perhaps rightfully so, that say, how can you fire this guy? Look at what he's done. Look at the wins. Look at the overall record. And then... You look at the shortcomings and you look at how bad they look on offense when, when they do lose games. Um, forget about the fact that their in-state rival is obviously humming and they're not to that anywhere near that level. I always look at Gus the way I look at the end of Phil Fulmer. And Fulmer actually won a national championship out of his alma mater. I mean, and Phil had it rolling there for a while and he needed 13-0 the title year and then Nine wins, eight wins, 11 wins, eight wins, 10 wins in 03, 10 wins in 04, and then it's five and six, nine and four with a loss in the outback, 10 and four, five and seven, gone. Mm-hmm. It could change real quickly for Gus, and I know that's a ton of money sitting there on that buyout. And I know Gus has his allies, and I know a lot of people in the national media are just tired of seeing coaches fired uh, when they're less than perfect. But it's going to be a very interesting situation. I I don't sense a lot of great vibes from the Auburn fan base about Gus overall. Uh, Fair or unfair? I mean, yeah. And who are you going to get to come in there? I'm looking at these articles – you know, you, if you you bring Kendall Bryles in there to, to run your offense, that that's an interesting marriage. Uh, I mean, you know, do you bring in, you know, do you bring back Bobby Bentley um, from South Carolina, who's the running backs coach, who was there as an analyst? Uh, do you promote Cody Burns kind of in title and uh, – and let it roll. I mean, you know, they're talking about Jeff Scott again. Jeff Scott's never leaving Clemson, in my opinion, because uh, I think he's the next head coach there if and when Dabo Sweeney leaves. Um, and that's his alma mater. I mean, if you're going to get anybody that has a job right now, Mike, to come be the offensive coordinator for Gus Malzahn at Auburn, they're going to require a, a two-year deal and, in some cases, a three-year deal at about 800 a year. Um, if not more. Yeah, I mean, because you, you have to look at it as this is a one and done. This is it, you know, because with Kelly Bryant going to Missouri, you know, that that was kind of the, the talk around Auburn is, oh, they'll go get Kelly Bryant and he'll have another, you know, one or two year transfer quarterback. And in the past, it's worked with Cam Newton for a year. It's worked with Nick Marshall for two. You know, he's that type of guy. You know, work with Jarrett Stidham his first year. You know, get another transfer quarterback in, and away we go. Well, well, Bryant's going to Missouri. So Bryant's at Missouri. 
Your OC is now at Kansas. Your other OC went to Connecticut. You know, you're kind of running out of things right now, and, and, and it kind of looks bad. And, and, and believe me, you know, I talk to people in recruiting all the time. Coaching staffs from around the SEC and ACC are trying to, to pillage Auburn's recruiting class right now because it, it's very clear when you look out there and, and, you know, and read between the lines that, you know, this is Waterloo next year. He doesn't get it done next year. You could have a uh, – you could have a, um, a a a change in the middle of the year, even, and 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 recruits fundamentally shy away from that. So I I, I think it's a lot of trouble. I, I look, I swear to God, college administrators and fan bases and boosters never never use common the J C Sherbert common sense move, the common sense move. Get on the phone to Georgia Tech, say hey, he's got a thirty eight million dollar buyout. We'll kick you this much money to kind of help you with his salary for a few years. Just take him. And Georgia Tech is not going to do much better than any better than Gus Malzahn um, in terms of their scheme and their personnel and, and what they're in. Gus Malzahn could do some great things at Georgia Tech. The offense, the run game that he runs, Mike, you basically just back the quarterback up into the shotgun and run Paul Johnson's offense. It's not that much different. It's not as dramatic of a departure as, say, if Ken Wisenhunt comes in and wants to run I-formation in 21 personnel, which is going to be a problem. Um, So why not? And that would give Gus some longevity in coaching. It's right here in Atlanta. Auburn goes his separate way. Georgia Tech has the perfect fit for their coach. And we all have a Merry Christmas. But but that's not going to (laughs) happen because it's Auburn and it's Georgia Tech and it's college football and it's dysfunctional. (laughs) I I like where you're going there. I also like your conclusion. It's not going to happen because it's Auburn, it's Georgia Tech, and it's Gus Malzahn sitting on a very powerful contract where he doesn't have to go anywhere. And if Georgia Tech's going to make that kind of move, they're going to have to be more aggressive than they've ever been ever hiring a coach. Uh, they're going to have to pony up funds that we've never seen the likes of ponied up at Tech. So I, <laughs> it's it's a fun scenario. Yeah, I don't see it happening. I, I, I well, but it's fun. I, that that's the thing. All right. So if you're Auburn, you're not going to pay him thirty eight million to go away, but will you pay him seventeen? Here's <laughs> here's seventeen million. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, part of that goes to Georgia Tech for your salary. Yeah. Georgia Tech's not going to pay him six a year, but they could pay him three. You know, and if you're Gus Malzahn, you, you, you get more longevity in coaching and you um, you probably come out with even more money than $38 million long term. But that's uh, that, that's been banted around a little bit um, out there. You know, you, you don't really see his name with some of the main – Georgia Tech coaching articles, but a few people have speculated about it, and yeah, you know, I, I don't know if maybe they, they listened to uh, my segment on Tuscaloosa Radio last week, where I, I told uh, Wimp and Barry Sanderson it was a good idea <laughs> or not. But um, I just, uh, yeah, th- that sounds unprecedented. But that that would be if I were both of those schools, that would exactly be what I did. Well, for for Georgia Tech, that is. That is a splash hire if somehow they got him. Georgia Tech is not known for making splash hires in college football. 
you know, and I, and I don't see it happening this time. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to hire a bad coach. Look, you look at who Louisville just hired and coach Satterfield. I mean, I think it's a good solid hire. Oh yeah. I, I really now It's not a splash hire because not a huge school. Keep attention. Do a good job there. And I think that's more in line with who Georgia Tech's going to get, whoever it is. And I know the Wisenhut thing is out there, and I know there's a connection with the AD there. I, I don't know if that, that that's a total outside-the-box move. If you want to just say, hey, I'm going outside the box, maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. But I have a feeling it might be more more in the line of a Group 5 head, hot-named head coach or a hot coordinator from Power 5. That's That's kind of where... I think it's going to land. By the way, the one guy we didn't mention with all this movement, Cliff Kingsbury out at Texas Tech, uh, uh. and now he's the OC for Clay Helton, who could be fired after next year, and Cliff could be uh, – in other words, Cliff, um, uh, rent don't buy in Southern Cal. Cause I, I don't know – I mean, I, I truly think Clay Helton got a bit of a pass this year. I do not think he will get one next year if they do not have double-digit wins. I uh, agree, but I think that if you think about Cliff Kingsbury as an offensive coordinator and you think about JT Daniel coming back, I mean, Kingsbury, last time he was an OC, was at uh, A&M when he had Johnny football, and he's got a quarterback. They have skill talent. Um, You know, they kind of went with with T. Martin and – sort of T. Martin and and Clay Hilton calling the plays. I mean, I think that's a big upgrade. Uh, And I think in the Pac-12 where you do have some schools that play defense, but you you don't – it's not like the Big 12. But then again, you know, we've seen some high-scoring ball out there for years. Uh, I think getting that right and, um, you know, being able to put points on the board uh, will help SC next year. But, yeah, it's – it's a deal where I think I think if you're him, given the other opportunities he had, there was some talk about him being the OC at North Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you go out there, you have a good year. Even if Hilton gets fired, maybe you're the interim. They have a habit of hiring interim coaches out there. I think Cliff Kingsbury will be a head coach again. I think his alma mater, Texas Tech, is a, is a tough job um, in terms of people who can win there. Um uh, you have Mike Leach, who had a great run, and then you know everybody from Tommy Tuberville to to whoever else has just kind of been up and down. It's Texas Tech, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I think that, um, and, and I think Matt Wells, the new coach at Texas Tech, is a good hire. I think he's a good football coach. We'll see if he what he can do at Texas Tech. So, if you're Cliff Kingsbury, you know, I, I think that uh, you know going to LA is the right move if you can if you can help them kind of right the ship and and honestly uh if clay hilton does turn it around and kingsbury is a a great coordinator and they do start getting back to where we're used to seeing them then keeping clay hilton ends up being a smart thing you know if, if you're sc even though we were all surprised by it i'll say this about cliff kingsbury i covered him in my years covering the big 12 uh, super guy, um, brilliant play caller, and he might get another head coaching job. But honestly, I think this is the best role for him. Mm-hmm. I think he he could be a long time, high profile, big time offensive coordinator. I think that's what he's meant to be. I don't think he's meant to be a head coach uh, at a power five school. I don't. I don't think he's a huge difference maker as a head coach 
And while Texas Tech is, is a difficult job for many reasons, you can win there. And his predecessors proved you could win more than he did. So I, I think this, I think Cliff's going to get very used to being in the OC role. Uh, hopefully for him, it's at Southern Cal for a while, where I, I have no doubt he will be an upgrade from T. Morton. But uh, I, I don't know if a lot of schools are going to be knocking on it. His personality, I'm telling you, he's just not going to woe you. He's not going to blow you away in an interview situation. Um, I, I just, I, I think he's one of those. And we see there's nothing wrong with this. This is not an indictment. There are a lot of guys that are just much more comfortable and made to be premier coordinators as opposed to being a head coach. Uh, yeah. And I think when you look at the NFL career of Ken Wisenhunt, if you're Georgia Tech, that's probably what you're thinking here. Um, you know, Wisenhunt had two really good years with the Cardinals in 08 and 09. Uh, took them to the Super Bowl um, with a 9-17, and 17, uh, you know. Uh, and then comes back, wins the NFC West again, lost in the divisional, and then the bottom fell out. Uh, and, and this guy is 48 and 71 as an NFL head coach during the regular season, uh, 52 and 73 overall. Has coached in the Super Bowl, but was the head coach of the Titans and started uh, in 2014 15, lost 20 of 23 games, and was fired. Okay, but he's an excellent NFL offensive coordinator. He hasn't coached at the college level since 1996 at Vanderbilt, which I believe was during the Woody Wiedenhofer era. <laughs> um, and then he's been in the NFL ever since. I, other than him being a Georgia Tech alum, I don't know how you, you – I mean, you know, you, you fired Chan Gailey to bring in Paul Johnson. And Paul Johnson was great with Chan Gailey's players. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But, 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 but you know, this is just like rehiring Chan Gailey. And I, I don't know – I mean, nothing against Ken Wisenhunt, but I just don't know why you would do that if you're Georgia Tech, because I think that's going to – you're going to have a learning curve, a guy that hadn't coached in college in 23 years. I mean, how is he going to go – you know, how about recruiting and things like that, because you're going to have to do that. I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, like, like I said, I, I know some people that know Ken Wisenhunt and say he's a great guy, and I'm sure he is. And, and if he gets the job, more power to him. But man, oh man, oh man. I mean, the, 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 I would be shocked if this was the second coming of Pete Carroll <laughs> at Georgia Tech. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to encroach on um, on that territory with with that situation at all. Uh, I, I think you know, for for Tech, for Louisville, for North Carolina, programs that have been, uh, to use your favorite term, uh, the last few years have been in the abyss. Like obviously, Louisville had some some high water marks there with, with Petrino. Um, but th- these are hires that are going to help define where this, where these programs hit in the overall uh, fit in the overall pantheon of college football, where it's the haves and the have nots. And we, we're talking about the same seven or eight schools every year. And that doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. Um, are any of these programs with this particular higher in time going to make significant strides or are they just going to be stuck in that level where they are which is not good enough for the fans to be happy or even content for that matter um as i said before we'll, we'll get into the bowl game specific matchups next week we have plenty of time to do that alluded to it earlier 
the the Ryan Day hire. Uh, I think it's a safe hire. I think it's for Gene Smith, uh, who's come under a lot of scrutiny and criticism. I do not think this was a man that wanted to go through an extensive search, put his neck out there, try to bring in a, a big name uh, for a bell cow institution after all the things that have gone on over the last few months. Uh, I think Ryan Day was almost a uh, de facto coach in waiting. If you watched Urban Meyer this year, you saw a man who aged about 10 years every week. I think if he had to coach a few more games, he would have morphed into Methuselah mm. on the Ohio State sideline. So you had to know this was very potential. The potential there was certainly there for this coming. Uh, so it's, it's a safe move. And if it doesn't work, and very often these don't work out, where you take it to, give it to somebody who's already in house. Well, then you fire them in three years, and you you bring in somebody else, and you get your mulligan there. So I'm not surprised they went with Ryan Day, and I'm not taking anything away from him. I looked at his track record. I've I've read about him. Everything I've heard is positive about him. He did a good job as an interim. Didn't face the best competition in the world, but but good luck to him. I think it also it it forced me jc to take another look on what could be the end of urban meyer's career because i think it's fascinating i think urban meyer is going to be one of the most difficult to define coaches in our lifetime and by that i mean the three national titles are undeniable the winning percentage is undeniable and yet he will leave as one of the most detested coaches to ever coach big time college football. Now, that might seem a little strong, and maybe it's, maybe quite frankly, it's not that justifiable considering there aren't a whole lot of angels walking the sideline in this profession. You look at some of the guys that have been ultra successful, and I'll find you some guys with some pretty serious skeletons in the closet, guys that would do anything to win and would turn the other cheek uh, if they thought that firing somebody or suspending a player or kicking a guy off the team would hurt their cause to win another championship. But the guy is that he's the wide receivers coach at Notre Dame works under Lou Holtz, 96 to 2000 goes to Bowling Green for two years, wins goes to Utah for two years, wins had the best season in Utah in like 80 years when they go undefeated, they were UCF and Boise state before they were right. Uh, and then, of course, goes to Florida in 05 in year number two, national title. In year number four, national title. Now, I will say this. When he left Florida, you could talk about being burnt out and health issues and everything else. He knew that the cupboard was not nearly as full. He knew there was no Tim Tebow's left. He knew there were no Percy Harvins left. For whatever reason, whatever the recruiting rankings were, they, they started losing game-changing players and he knew it and you'll never convince me that that it wasn't part of the equation when he uh wanted to see his daughter play more volleyball so stuff like that all the trouble that went on with players while in Gainesville the obvious situation this year culminated uh going out of your way to protect a a low-level assistant coach um lying about it showing no contrition looking like a man that doesn't even have a heart at times. All these things are balanced with here's a guy that's quite frankly, one of the best coaches of our generation. I don't want to say it's Joe Paterno part two, but you can make some parallels there. 
Um, I really wonder five years from now, 10 years from now, how everybody's going to remember Urban Meyer because the record is phenomenal. What he did was phenomenal. And quite frankly, the Big Ten is a better league for him taking that Ohio State job because what he did was basically give the blueprint of how SEC schools have become so successful and turn that into Ohio State, which therefore turns that into Michigan, and you hope that the rest of the league follows suit as best they can. So there's a, there, there's such a yin and a yang with Urban Meyer. I find it fascinating. I don't think he's going to coach college football again. I know a lot of people think, you know, yeah, yeah, he'll be back. I really don't. And I don't, quite frankly, I don't know where Urban Meyer fits in another college football job. He is walking away from his dream job. He will never do better than the Ohio State job. Most premier programs, there will be a litany of unbelievable criticism uh, and, and overall animosity to whatever whatever program would hire him in the future. I think he's done college coaching, and I don't know exactly how to define his legacy. If I'm writing it, it's going to be a very interesting final chapter. I think he's either going to be remembered a, a lot like Lou Holtz, where you know, and and then this is there are two different ends of the Lou Holtz tenure. There's walking away from Notre Dame after under the tarnished dome, and you know some scandal and all the schools that were on probation, and then you know his exit at South Carolina didn't do wasn't all that much better with a big fight against Clemson, and and there were some NCAA issues there as well. Um, and so you see kind of that cloud of controversy. Then Lou goes on ESPN and he's everybody's grandpa for eight years and, <laughs> and, and argues with Mark May. And, and, and next thing you know, he's given a speech at a pep rally for the University of Notre Dame and they're about to play Alabama in 2012. And let me tell you, and everybody loves him again. He kind of rehabilitated his image. Because he has charm through, through TV. Urban has no charm through TV, and, and I and I do think Urban Meyer will go and, and do some TV. And another guy I want to throw out there is, is Dick Vermeil, um, very successful pro coach, left coaching for a long time and came back and was successful again. Um, there were there was not a lot of controversy there other than Dick Vermeil, like Urban Meyer, I, I think sort of got burnt out. Um, and, and unlike John Gruden, who I think really is struggling going back to the pro game, you know, Vermeil kind of knew how to evolve and, and so does urban. Um, and then there's a third way. I, I think that it's, it's good to go take elite jobs. Everybody wants elite jobs, you know, but I also think there's something to be said when you go to a place like Utah where Dagummit, if you go undefeated and you beat a seven and four pit team in the Fiesta Bowl, everybody loves you. Or if you make it to the Holiday Bowl, or if you have a winning streak against BYU in the Holy War, everybody's happy. Um, that's maybe not the pressure cooker that, that Ohio State and Florida are. Um, regardless of the fact that Ohio State's his dream job, I mean, you know, I will lose respect for Urban Meyer, and we'll. we'll I mean, more respect for Urban Meyer, and we'll we'll shout it from the mountaintops that it's a short-term deal if he goes to someplace like Southern Cal, if it opens, or an Auburn, if it opens, 
or a Notre Dame if Brian Kelly goes to the NFL or something like that, or Florida State in a couple of years. Those are pressure cookers. He's already proven that when the when the going gets tough in those situations, he can't handle it. Now, you go to Kentucky or North Carolina, where everybody's yawning until basketball season starts, um, and those fans do show up for a good product for football, especially in Kentucky. You know, you can coach and you can enjoy coaching for what it is and not have a meltdown every time you lose a football game. Um, And maybe that's just not the way he's wired. But if he does come back to college coaching, and there will be some school out there that will want to hire him. Remember, Arizona tried to hire him before he came back and went to Ohio State. Great job for Urban Meyer at Arizona. Super. The weather's good. You know, it's a basketball school for the most part. They are good at football. Go do it. But 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 if he goes and takes another major job, um, you know, I, it's going to be the same old, same old because eventually just winning is not enough. It's about winning a championship every single year, and, and you're never going to get over your health problems or uh, your issues or, or, or whatnot because you're under such a microscope. So I – I think it could go a number of ways, but you're right, Mike. Right now, I could not write his legacy. Um, I think in five years when he and Nick Saban are on the set of College Game Day every Saturday, we can probably do it then. (laughs) I don't know if Urban – you know, Urban was at ESPN, and his personality didn't exactly blow people away. (laughs) You know, and that's the thing, like, Lou Holtz was charming – and at times likable to where people could overlook a lot of his indiscretions. That's what hurts Urban Meyer. I mean, every time he gets in front of that podium, he just, he doesn't have that. It's not in his bag of tricks. Look, we're all blessed with certain things and and we lack others. This is a guy that was a ridiculously good athlete in high school and college. You know, Urban Meyer actually played for the Atlanta Braves Spent two years playing minor league baseball in the Braves organization. He was a 13th round draft pick as a shortstop. The guy was, I mean, the guy is so gifted as a player and then coach. Three national championships, three Big Ten championships, two SEC championships, two Mountain West championships. It's a ridiculous amount of success. You go coach college baseball somewhere, Mike. Yeah, right. Maybe so. Maybe that would help repair his image a little bit. Um but I, I just look at it and I'm like, man, if you just would have handled this thing better, if you just would have, you and I talked about it when it was going on three months ago, be proactive, fall on the sword a little bit, show some, and I'll use that word again, humility. And he never did it. And he never did it. And they're never going to forgive him for it. Uh, his legacy is still great. But it's always going to be tarnished. It, it, it really is. And I'm not saying I feel sorry for Urban Meyer, but I, I wish he would have handled that whole thing better because we are looking at a guy who's walking away as one of the best coaches of our generation. The only guy that even is, is in his ballpark is Nick Saban, which, of course, is number one. No one else is even close. I mean, you can say Spurrier. Uh, no, one can, no one can stack up resumes with Urban Meyer other than Nick Saban, in the last Eight, 20 to 30 years? Since two, Tom Osborne? Since 2000. Now, since, since the turn of the century, Mike, yeah. no, nobody's got the resume he does. Because, you know, some of it was 
I mean, you do have a, a in that time period, you have a Larry Coker national championship. You have a Gene Chiswick national championship year. You have a Les Miles national championship year. You have a Mac Brown national championship year. And the rest of it's like Urban and Saban. And then you have Jimbo and, and Dabo Sweeney in, in this kind of era that we're in now. But no, I mean, it's Saban number one, Urban number two as far as body of work. And, and I, know, I know Clemson people like to point out that, you know, Dabo and, and Clemson were 2-0 and uh, against Urban Meyer uh, at Ohio State. And, and they did. They won two games. They won the Orange Bowl, and they won the semis in, in blowout fashion a couple of years ago. But, you know, body of work-wise, uh, when Dabo Swinney wins three national championships, I think then we can say same right. ballpark. But, but right. yeah, and, and, and Urban did it at two different schools, too. And, two and, different and, schools. and Saban's done it at two different schools. So Right. I, I think that, that is a big line of demarcation. But, and, and then also what he did at Utah. Uh, it's Utah, but still, <laughs> and no one's done that since at Utah. And another um, thing, I'll put one more thing out about his legacy. If you look at, at all three, the, the last three places he's coached, one of his former assistants is leading that program now. Right. Kyle Whittingham's right. still at Utah. Mullen is at Florida. And now Ryan Day will be at Ohio State. Yeah, which goes to the point. And I, I this this is not a guy, and nor is Nick Saban for that matter. This is not just a guy who's a great recruiter. I think sometimes people say that. And like, who couldn't win at Ohio State? Who couldn't win at Florida? Well, uh, you've seen what Florida's been since he left. And you saw what Ohio State was before he got there. So there's your answer. Uh, it's more than just recruiting. The guy's a hell of a football coach. He's just got this flaw that, uh, unfortunately, that, that's going to be attached to him uh, really for the rest of time. And it, it, it makes to me for a very interesting 30 for th- I'm always thinking like, so 30 for 30, will you call me up? I've got all these great ideas for you. I'll, I'll just, you can produce it. I'll just, I'll write a, a treatment, if you will. And you guys go to town with it, and I'll just take you know two percent of the proceeds because I, I I swear I've got some good thirty for thirties, especially as it pertains to college football. Uh, JC, we'll get in the bowl games next week. Any final thoughts before we wrap things up? No, um, you know I I, I I've been always been high on Ryan Day. Um, just to wrap up the Ohio State thing, um, had I been them, you know, in this situation, I I, I think the jury's still out. Uh, as far as you know, your first job is Ohio State, uh, but it's worked at places before, and, and there's certainly a lot of talent there. And I, I think he is a really good head coach. I, I would have liked to have seen them maybe take a look at Matt Campbell, um, but hey, Ryan Day's been there, was three and zero as the interim. Um, go ahead and give him a shot. Heck, it's it's working at Clemson when with the interim guy, and it's uh, it's kind of working at LSU too with the interim guy. So. It makes me wonder if there's a big enough job out there for Matt Campbell to leave, mm-hmm. uh, in which case Iowa State still has the steel of the, you know, the, the non-elite program college football coaches because that dude's a stud, and if the NFL doesn't grab him, he'll likely be in Ames another year, and that's a hell of a situation for Iowa State because that dude is he's done as good of a coaching job as anybody in college football the last couple of years. I'll stand by that because it is Iowa state and that's not an easy place to win. Uh, I'll tell you what's easy for you folks to do. Treat yourself or your loved ones to some great clothing. You want to talk about a fantastic Christmas present. Don't get bad cologne. Don't do it. 
Don't get an ugly sweater. Don't do it. Get good-looking suits, good-looking custom-made suits and shirts and ties. And I'll tell you what, if you're like me and you hate going to department stores anyway, don't do that either. Call BP Skinner Clothiers and the owner, Brent Skinner, not some pimple-faced sales guy working on a commission. The owner's coming to your house. He's going to size you up. He's going to give you all the different options for you. No BS sales and bait and switch and other kind of garbage like that. Just everything tailor-made to you. That is why so many people have gone to BP Skinner Clothiers and have had Brent Skinner take care of them, people all over the country. And from setting your first appointment to picking up your final garment, he will aim to make the process of your custom wardrobe smooth and painless. Just like our podcast here on the J.C. and Morgan Show, smooth and painless. Go to bpskinnerclothiers.com. Treat yourself or your loved ones as we get ready for this holiday season. J.C., we'll get ready for the next podcast next week. Oh, yeah. Fired up to do it and uh, ready to get through this month of December and uh, rock and roll through a, another national championship season. Folks, enjoy. I know it's a cold front hitting just like every all 50 states in the country. So stay warm, and hopefully it'll be warmer when we come back to you next week, and hopefully we won't be sick in the process. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now on another J.C. and Morgan podcast. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped Striped. boat neck sweaters. Sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from.